Alone. 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 Standing on the left side of the screen, coming in from at least at least 8,000 miles it's away, the Brazilian behemoth. He may or may not be your father, but he definitely is Rodolfo father. Oh, so my good. man. How are you yeah, doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Thank you very much for the invitation, Peter. How yeah, dude. I am excited to have you on the show, Rodolfo. I always have so much fun listening to you and talking to you about all sorts of stuff. And it's been way too long, man. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. Um, finally, we got some good weather in the Netherlands. Uh, 27 degrees uh, Celsius here. Yeah. Went out for a walk, got some sunlight, you know. It's the country of the rain, as they say. So, the country yeah. of the rain. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's funny. When I was there, uh, everybody told me, oh, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain the whole time. But to be honest, dude, it hardly ever rained the whole entire time I was there. Oh, you were super lucky, man. Yeah. Well, they brought the California sunshine. That's what I said. Yeah, you did. You certainly did. <laughs> and, and I brought the Brazilian sun as well. So it was like, yeah, no match got... for the rain. Well, Okay, uh, I've got so many stories I want to share with you because um, we'll have to put it. Well, I'll I'll put it in there later. Whew. All right. So you mentioned you're in the Netherlands right now. Um, are you guys still in school? Um, yeah. So um, school's still going on here. Um, everything switched to online learning, and the school has done a great job of that. Um, so shout out to Breda University for that. And yeah, um, you know, education is still going on. Exams is taking place online. And on my end, I'm just working on my own personal project right now. Um, so yeah, for me, you know, I, I have to say like not much changes on my end on how I work, but. So your career path is in video game design. You're in school in the Netherlands for that right now. But something I'm curious about, because I think video game, Video game design is like a very interesting thing, but admittedly, it's something that I don't really understand the process of very well. You're specializing in something, right? It's not like a general um, degree. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, from the get-go, you specialize in one of three disciplines. Um, you can either choose uh, design production, uh, visual arts, or programming. And I chose the programming path from the first day. Design, production, visualization, and what? Uh, visual arts and programming, coding. Visual arts and programming. And you chose programming from the start. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How long have you been studying there? So I've been studying there for, um, this is my fourth year. This is my final year there. And and yeah, it's it's been like a, a bunch of group projects. Um, I did an internship and right now to to finish off I'm doing a personal project. That's awesome, man. And you you and I have talked a little bit about your personal project. We've also talked a little bit about the challenges of being in the iGAD program, which 
for the listeners who aren't here, that's the International Game and Design Program. Is that correct? Yeah, International Game Architecture and Design. Yeah. International Game Architecture and Design Program. So you've been studying there a total of four years. Were you doing anything like on your own before? Can you give us an idea about how you chose this career path? And was there a moment you realized you wanted to make video games for a living? Um, yeah, sure. So before I was um, studying, I get um, I was studying engineering back in Brazil. And uh, one of the subjects we had was um, programming in Java. And that was quite a, a tough course, um, but the final project of that of that course was like you could do whatever you wanted as long as the the professor approved of it. And my friend and I were retaking that subject, so we're like, okay, let's start from like the first day, you know, let's not start like like on the last months. And we decided to make a Pac-Man game, and I'm wearing a Pac-Man T-shirt right now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I love that, dude. Uh, so yeah, we went nuts. Like, you know, we did a lot of research, like how the game was made. Like each ghost has different behavior. You know, really geeking out on that, like making joys on the whiteboard. Um, yeah, we went all out, all out. Yeah. How did you do on the project? Uh, we did quite well. Like, uh, like people were really being competitive about it. Like everybody wanted to pass because. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's where you could, that was the best shot of getting a good grade, right? Because the, the exam was really difficult, and the exercises were, you got some points, but the, the final project was where people, like, really put their heart into. I think we got, like, an 8 out of 10, and, like, for that professor, for that subject, that was, like, insane. That was, like, the, the third best grade or something of, of the class, yeah. Obviously, that had an impact on you as far as, like, hang on a second, I killed it designing pac-man maybe i want to do this more is that what happened yeah it was very much like that i mean i chose engineering you know i was um you know not really sure what i want to do i'm like okay you know i like problem solving and all um but then I, later on i figured out yeah i really like problem solving but being involved with the creative aspect as well right uh, which yeah i couldn't find much else in engineering aside from that opportunity i got to design games that's super interesting because i i mean i don't really think of video game uh design as engineering but honestly it's it has a lot of the same elements right at least as far as like coding and coming up with a structure yeah for sure um in the in the process we're doing right now um like the whole process of the education is like picking one of you know the roles you'd have at a company right so they they try very much to emulate what it's like to work at a company at the games industry so and from the get-go you're like oh there's the the programmer there there's the visual artist and within those disciplines you are even more specialized okay there's the ai programmer there's the tools programmer graphics and so on um yeah that's interesting how many different specializations there are but it makes sense to me because you know there's so many levels to making a game i was geeking out when you were telling me about the fact that you made packet pac-man for your programming because i took a i took a programming course back in the day and it was a python class which is kind of like an introductory language i think for a lot of people and i am not good at programming but we had a similar structure where at the very end you had a 
free license basically to create whatever you wanted right and i was like oh i want to make a game so i was ambitious and stupid and thought like well pac-man's an old game you know <laughs> that's gonna be like not that hard to do uh spoiler alert it's insanely hard <laughs> like i gave up and i made a tic-tac-toe game i mean yeah that's what we call downscoping <laughs> But full disclosure, I kind of cheated because I like <laughs> looked up the source code for tic-tac-toe because I have no idea what I'm doing with coding. That was so hard for me. And I was so happy that I like my um my AI knew not to click where I clicked. You know, like that's about the gist of what I could get done with programming. Yeah, man. It, it, it takes a bit to get into. Yeah. That's like to me, like that's like the extent of like I dip my toe in the water of video game design. And I was like blown away by what goes into Pac-Man. So I can't even imagine what it's like, how much detail, intricacy, layers, like absolutely insane amount of code and parameters and blah, 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 that goes into making a game, dude. It's, I'm really impressed that you're making your own stuff. Yeah, and I mean, and Pac-Man specific, like um, a while ago they had, like Google had a competition for it, I think. Um... For designing AI for it, or, or was it Tron? No, it was actually Tron. Yeah, I mean, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Not Pac-Man, but Tron, but similar yeah. idea. But yeah, it's kind of a similar idea. Like uh, you have this 2D grid, and like there are these units moving around, and they sort of try to block the player, right? They try to push the player in a corner. And mm -hmm. while you, if you're playing the first time, you think it's just random, right? But um, if they really try to get you in a corner. Like it's almost like, oh my god, can they actually do this? Like can they actually think that hard and like try to corner me? Yeah, they that can. Yeah. Well, because the computer is basically just doing a list of operations based off of what you chose to input, right? So if you press the left key, it's got like whatever amount of options to to counteract that, right? Yeah. That's yeah. why you you can't you basically can't beat a chess machine on the computer at the highest level. Yeah, pretty much. Like you know, it calculates all the you know possibilities and. Yeah, there's a, a very fun match they had, like, uh, and I, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, like, was one of the world best chess players, right, in the 90s, like, the machines were just catching up to this guy, man, I, re I really wish I could remember his name, um, I think he, he played against the IBM computer, yeah, right, and then, yeah, I heard about that, uh, what was his name again, um, was oh my gosh, we'll have to look that up really quickly, yeah, like, I think it was a Russian guy, I don't know. A Russian guy. I, I just know that, like, th there was, like, uh, a bug in the machine, and the machine made, a like, a random move, and and the chess player, like, he thought the machine could, like, look even further than 20 steps, so he started it's going... Been <laughs> almost... I think I found it. I think I found it. It's been almost 18 years since IBM's Deep Blue famously beat Gary Kasparov at chess, becoming the first computer to defeat a human world champion. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's the one, yeah. Gary Kasparov. Gary Kasparov, yeah. Yeah. Well, shout out to, well, to Gary. Dude, I remember... The, yeah, poor Gary. The first guy to lose to a computer. Uh, his chess career is over. I mean... <laughs> You can still play with all the people, right? There's, there's the yeah, point. you can still beat everybody, everyone else. Does that ever make you feel stupid to think the computer can beat you at stuff? Like, I remember I read about, um, they're like, oh, a lot of the news out there right now, the blurb stuff is being written by a computer and not a human being. And I was like, well, that's like garbage writing. That's just like, you know, like 
blog posty stuff. Like, if you ever want to feel better about yourself, like and and like not worry as much about AI, uh, read a script that one of the AIs that's like digested all of the Hallmark movies. Read one of the scripts they write. It's really funny, but it's not good. Like it's not even good English. It's like it's like AI isn't is insane, but it's not like gonna replace me at my job anytime soon. I'll be dead before that happens. Yeah, man. Um, especially like in creative professions, right? So you know, uh, it's one thing to to hold on to for sure. Um, like, can you could you imagine the world where like video games are being designed by a computer? I mean, actually, I was. I remember I had a conversation like that with some friends. We went out to get lunch, and yeah, like yeah, there are some people already doing it. It was something very far fetched, like kind of this, like uh. That's scary, man. Yeah, uh, we we didn't really take it that seriously. I mean, um, I can't imagine that game makes a lot of sense. It might be kind of cool because it's weird, but like, I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time reading what computers write, but like they write poetry and stuff. Even they just like grab words from different people and make something. But yeah, yeah, like cool. a, just just one more thing. Like I saw this AI project. Yeah. Like they, um, I really like when like AI can take. Um, a sample from like some some songs, right? It took some like uh, bits and pieces from I'm not sure Beethoven or Mozart, and like they could recreate the the song based on that. Um, so that's something like cool, right? But then that's really cool. But, that's really cool. <laughs> but they took like a uh, this guy made AI that like they took some samples from ACDC. And it just made another ACDC song. Like it was so hilarious. It actually it sounded like an actual ACDC song because it doesn't like change too much. Like the there's not much variation to it. So that was even funnier. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yeah, that's like what the Hallmark thing was like. And just for the record, Alexa, if you're listening or Google or you know whoever else, I I don't have a problem with you. I think you're great at your job. Uh, so don't you know don't don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. <laughs> Please, sure. please, I don't. I don't think I can handle the surveillance. Uh, I, um, I still want to order my pizza using <laughs> using Alexa. Please, oh, I want to do Google reviews still. Um, so okay, for you having that experience coding Pac-Man in engineering class, that was the moment you were like, "Hang on a second, maybe I want to do this for a living." Is that right? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. And um, the vision I had from like higher education up to that point was, you know, you do one of those more like generalist courses. Um, and, you know, after five years, then you get to do what you want with it, you know, like, so I was like, oh yeah. man, five years, that's, that's way too long, you know, like there must be something else. Uh, right. So I started looking up, okay, are there bachelors out there that specialize in games? And it turns out there are. And um, this, this one, which I'm doing in British University, had a quite good reputation. Um, yeah, the course was taught in English. Tuitions fee, tuition fees were more accessible than the in the UK and the US. So I was like, yeah. Um, worth that was a shot. pretty big deciding factor then that it was, uh, they had that kind of specialized video game design program and that it was more monetarily uh, accessible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I got to say, man, when I when I tell people, oh, I'm about to do an interview with this guy, I'm really stoked. He's a Brazilian living in Europe. 
That's what I tell them. And it's because uh, to me, I, I don't know. I didn't meet the, a lot of Brazilians in the Netherlands, dude, as you as you probably know. You're not um, you're not the average bear there. Yeah, I mean, uh, recently, like in some cities like Eindhoven and Rotterdam, like like it's uh, we're sprouting more there, I guess. <laughs> really you've been seeing more brazilians yeah actually there's this huge whatsapp group uh it's like got thousands of brazilians in there we're all helping each other out <laughs> that is funny that is it is it, i've never been to brazil is it very much a community-based place um yeah i guess we can say so like um yeah. especially when we go abroad like are brazilians like one of those countries where when they travel you're like oh uh the brazilians are here because they're all staying in the one place is it like that I mean, some people really, really do stick together. Like, um, I think there's a, a street in New York City. It's called, like, uh, they nicknamed it Little Brazil. <laughs> some people, That's funny. Um, That's funny. When I was in Malaysia, I was on an island to learn how to scuba dive. It's a pretty famous place to go scuba diving in the area because it's, like, pretty good prices. But I just was cracking up because there's one side of the island and one particular hotel where all the French people stayed. And I don't, I don't know. To me, like, I noticed that when I was traveling different places, the French, I always saw them all together and all in the same place. Oh, damn. Yeah, I, I don't think we're that extreme. Um, it's more like, oh, I see a Brazilian person, I'm going to talk to them, you know, like... Uh, right. So... You get excited you to get see excited. somebody, like, you know. You're like, hey, hey! I had that experience in South Korea. I was like, oh my gosh, it's another white person in the countryside. Hey, dude, what's up? Yeah, like, <laughs> tell me your story, you know? Yep. Um, I literally was in the gym one time. I'm sorry, I want to hear your story, but I just made me think of this. Yeah, go ahead, I was in the please. gym one time, and I'm, like, literally lifting weights, and this guy looks over at me. I never saw him again. Like, there's literally no white people in my town at all. And he looks at me and goes, what's up? <laughs> like, he gives a little head nod, and it, just like that was it. Like, we're just, like, one of those acknowledgments, like, Yep, there's another white person here. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> sure, like, but nowadays I think like, yeah, it, it used to be more like that, you know, but with the current climate, like, you're just afraid that that person is from like the other side, and you're like, you don't want to make things awkward, so you're kind of like, okay, let's <laughs> let's keep walking. Here. What do you mean by the other side? Like, uh... uh, the other side of the discussion, you know, like someone with a different mm. opinion and uh. In a way, it's a it's a kind of warmth. Let's not let's not go there. Right. You know, you don't have to get into detail about it, but it does bring up my next point. What is it like? You, so you told me why you moved to Europe and why the Netherlands, but was it hard to leave Brazil? I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, um, I live, used to live with my family. Um, I had a girlfriend, and yeah, everything I knew was there. Right, like. Um, yeah, that's a big move. That's was, like, I think, at least 8,000 miles, right? Yeah, like, man, it was a big move. But, you know, I, I was ready for something new, right? I wanted an adventure. Uh, I wanted to, you know, like, really throw myself out there and, um, yeah, you know, get some experience abroad. And especially with the current situation, I think that was the best time I could choose to do so. And, you know... And one day when I come back, you know, I can bring something new to the table. You know, hey, guys, like this, we can do things in a different way, you know. Um, yeah, that's a really cool thought. I think, yeah. What it's 5,700 miles from Brazil to the Netherlands, by the way. I was wow, off yeah. by a couple thousand miles. <laughs> Quite a, a long flight, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you're not, you're definitely not in your element, so to speak. 
Oh yeah, especially and you really feel that, especially when you're working by by yourself, you know, like because um, before that I always worked with other people, and like you always have that interaction, with someone to, you know, like maybe ask for help or just like crack a joke here and there. But yeah, working by myself, you're like, yeah, man, there's a bunch of things I missed right now, you know, like. Uh, Do you find the Brazilian humor is pretty different from the Dutch? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Like I think, um, I, I think, yeah, Brazilians communicate like seventy uh, percent in jokes. You know, like because like we, we have it like we have a certain subtext that we all like are aware of what's going on. So like we can always like we know what's what's up. You know, but so it's like inside jokes or like sarcasm or what is it? A, yeah, we like we have a bunch of inside jokes and sarcasm. That's that's for sure. And like sarcasm. Like, it really doesn't work here. Like, you're ah! and people think you're serious, you know? Like, it really doesn't well, work. <laughs> for those of us listening who are not aware of what that's like, can you give us an idea? Like, what is your impression? Like, you, obviously, you're giving a broad spectrum by saying something with this. But, like, what are Dutch people like? Oh, that's a tough one. Um... Like, you coming in, a Brazilian, right. first time in the Netherlands, what was your impression? And what's your impression now that you've been there for four years? Well, um, something that comes to my mind instantly is, you know, I'm, I'm there walking in Amsterdam, like, you know, first time, such a cool city. And, like, it's such a crowded place. Like, people don't care yeah. about, like, kind of pushing away, like, um, uh, with their elbows and stuff. Like, they just go. They just, they have a, they have a target and they just fucking go, you know, like, um, uh, and well, I mean, you, you think okay, but Amsterdam's like the capital city, right? It's like a lot of tourists. Um, right, there's so many tourists but, there. But I think you can like maybe extrapolate this and be like, okay, these are really like objective people, you know? Like, um, so if they have something against you, like not against you or something you're doing, they will not think twice before they mention it to you and at first yeah like that was very very direct yeah exactly and um you know at first i was really like wow these people make a big deal about like small stuff you know like um like i felt like personally attacked at some points um <laughs> but then you I, felt like it's hard not to take it personally when someone's that direct with you right yeah exactly like because uh especially in brazil like the way you say something means way more than right than what you're saying you know like um yeah but then after a while like i i kind of learned how to like deal with this and and actually i find myself like like i kind of miss the subtext that people are talking to me like maybe they're from different culture not brazilian necessarily but like british people or right or yeah sometimes i miss like that the little sensibility there for I always had so much fun um, talking with my friends from the UK because like it's one of those countries that's very, very similar to the United States in a lot of ways. But the, that makes the differences feel so much more nuanced. And so like I'd always go back and forth as like um, trolley, shopping cart, jumper, uh, sweater, um, orange juice with pulp oranges with juicy bits like i don't know just like going back and forth about like it should be like this no no that's <laughs> stupid it should be like this 
Um, which you can really only do with somebody or something that's really similar to you. Yeah. But I always had so much fun because, to be honest, I like to be pretty sarcastic with people. And uh, I found at least my friends from the UK are pretty good with sarcasm and dry humor, which I appreciate. Um, but at the same time, I really enjoyed being in the Netherlands. I know a lot of people have a hard time with that direct form of communication. But um, to be honest... By default, I value that a lot. That kind of direct, um, hey, I'm just going to tell you what I'm thinking right now. But I remembered, even for me, I was like, whoa, whoa, that's like a, a bit much, dude. Like, you can't say that to somebody, can you? Like, I was in class one time in IMEM, which is International Media and Entertainment Management. Same school as you. Mm -hmm. um, for our listeners, that's where we met um, going to school together in the Netherlands. Um, and I remember I was in class and this Dutch student uh, raises his hand during the lecture and he says straight to the teacher, why do we have to learn this? And I was like, I did like a double check. I was like, what, what is a teacher going to say to that? Because it was like really directly like, why are you wasting our time? Um, because I don't feel like I need to learn this. And the teacher just ignored him. I mean, he didn't like address it, but he just was like, whatever. And he just like, to me, I was like, oh my God, is this guy going to like go off on it? But like the, student, the students would do that. And I was like, man, that just, that wouldn't happen in the US. Yeah. You have to call them by the surname, like Mr. or Mrs. Like, right. And they, they call by, yeah. by the first name here. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in the US, when I was teaching, uh, it was Mr. Kirsting. And then in Korea, where I was just teaching, uh, the way that people's names work, you say their name and then their title, like an abbreviation at the end. So like, because there was English class, though, they just called me Peter Teacher, <laughs> which for a while was really, that's a that's like a formal thing to say, but it also sounds super weird and informal to me because the English translation is just bizarre. Yeah. Peter teacher. <laughs> but that was that's what people called me. That was the equivalent of Mr. Kirsting there. Alright. Alright. Cool. <laughs> uh like Pita Sem would probably be the Korean Pita way Sem, to say yeah. it. Pita Sem. Like back to the directness, I think, you know, nowadays I can really appreciate it because um you know when somebody like doesn't say anything to you it means everything is all right like there's no drama going on yeah. it's not building up to something or that is I, nice i found people like don't hold grudges here um that much while yeah like in my experience in brazil people make like some drama about some stuff and that drama like carries on carries on you know i think you know yeah people just keep running to each other they're like hey hey what's up man you know like new day that is a very yeah, that's a very, very interesting point, man. I totally agree with you. And in a certain sense, it's super freeing to be like, all right, if this person has a problem, they're going to just straight up tell me. If they don't have a problem, they're not going to say anything. And I'm going to know, hey, they don't have a problem because they didn't say anything. Because literally, they'll, there's no filter. Like, they will tell <laughs> you. <laughs> Which I, I actually had a... I enjoyed that so much, man, once I got used to it. I think a lot of people do. And um, I'll tell you what, though. You can really tell a Dutch person when you see them abroad. Um, just based off of some of those things. It's pretty great. And I think it's one of the amazing things about traveling, right? You get those compare and contrast moments. Like, I haven't been to Brazil, but 
that honestly sounds more like what I remember in Asia. It's like there's a respect thing. So like even if you're feeling it, you don't say it if it's not appropriate to say. And there's something cool about that, but it's also like you're always wondering, like you have to be on your toes. You're like, okay, what is someone really saying to me right now? This is like a chess match and you're the computer and I'm that guy, <laughs> Gary, who lost because I'm not used to this. Dude, but, but do you remember when like uh, <laughs> I had I had you and, and Barbara over for, for dinner? We had yeah. French onion soup. I miss Barbara, yeah. Oh, dude, like, uh, like you remember when like, uh, I used to live in a in a student house, and like one of my housemates was there, and you're like, yeah, like, do you think we're being a bit loud? And like, yeah, uh, we're like making soup, and you're like, I don't know, should we just stop or like? Yeah, and then like uh, he's Dutch, better probably he would he would tell me, you know. So right. it, it was so nice to just say it. Yeah, like, and we all yeah, that's true. Oh, dude, <laughs> especially with roommates. Yeah, no, I could really stand to have some Dutch roommates next time I have to have roommates because that's that's really nice. Um, okay, so on along those lines, you've been there four years. You feel like you're kind of more used to that. Um, could you tell the listeners a little bit about the educational structure in IGAD, though, in that International Game and Architectural Development Program? Like, what are the big differences, um, especially for you as a Brazilian? Right, so, um, as the first thing to point out, it's, um, is technically a university of applied sciences and they and everybody will make sure to tell you the difference oh it's not a real university quote unquote like right and in a sense that it's not a research university but yeah but it doesn't mean any way that's like less valuable than it like far from it i th i think it's very valuable to get um a more practical more hands-on kind of education if that's what you're going for um absolutely and my experience in Brazil, right? Like we also have technical schools there, but in my own experience, I was in a research university and most people want to go for a research university. That is what is most valuable to people. Like the market appreciates that more, even though you're not really gonna do research after you leave, you know what I mean? Like it's sort of, it doesn't match reality. And a lot of people often find after they graduate they don't have those skills the market requires, but you know it's sort of like it's it's not in sync, you know, what the market expects and what the uh, universities offer. That's a very very interesting point, and I can uh, I can really speak to that in my experience with the Dutch school system too. It is very heavily based on collaboration, projects, actually doing work. In fact, one of the challenges of going there and then coming back to the US is that because it's so much based on, hey, can you do the work? And if you do the work, you pass. The grading system is totally, totally different from the US system. So like as an American, I'm trying to get the best grade I can so that if I want to do future schooling or get more like financial aid um, or whatever, that's heavily impacting it. The difference between like a 90% and a 70% even though they're both passes, that's a huge, huge difference in the U.S. educational system. But for the Dutch, it's like, no, 70, 80, 90, who cares? You show me that you can do the work, and it's about what you can practically execute. Um, and it's very interesting because, to me, I did feel it was very valuable to get out there and be filming and doing stand-ups in front of a camera and 
you know, editing and you had to do those things and you had to do it on a team. And um, you don't necessarily get that hands-on practical experience within your educational program unless you reach out for it in the US, which I just really thought that was so smart. Plus, uh, you're doing an internship, yeah? Yeah, yeah, uh, I did one for one semester. Um, I completed it in January. So yeah, I already have some work experience there. You can say so. That's so cool because you're gonna end up leaving feeling like not only do I have some form of a degree to show people, but I also have the confidence to say like, yeah, I've done this work because I've actually, I've literally done it um, in a professional setting. And that's super duper valuable for your confidence, your ability to like, you know, negotiate a job with somebody, but also for the employer, I imagine they're like, okay, show me some of your work. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially in the games industry, uh, since, since it's such a new industry, right? Like uh, it goes back to the eighties or something. Exploding uh, too, though. Like it's always exponentially growing. And, and yeah, so like, you know, the first game developers, they didn't graduate in a, in a game development school. Like there were no such things, you know, there was um, some hackers like putting stuff together, having fun, you know, some people making stuff in their bedrooms until, you know, it started getting big. Um, yeah. So what they really want to see, like, oh, are you curious? You no, know, are you driven? Like, um, are you always looking to learn? Like that's the things they're looking for really. Um, and, and yeah, I really wanted that kind of experience, um, like more practical, right? Because yeah, like it's a project based education, right? Like you don't have exams anymore. And that's like the second version of the course. Like the first version had some, like you had, um, some courses you actually needed to take and needed to pass them before you went on projects and you need to work alongside projects as well. I don't know much about it. But I knew, I know it was very like stressful for the students. Um, the passing this is before you were in the program, yeah, before, you mean? Um, the passing rate was not that great. Um, but now they do completely project based uh, since year one. Um, and yeah, in one hand, I really appreciate this experience, but it was definitely a shock for me because I was used to having like a formal like syllabus of things I needed to learn and there were exams, right? It was more structured and yeah, I'm still trying to find myself. Okay. Like I need, I need this formal, like, uh, concepts I need to learn here first. Like I need the foundations, like when I'm going to learn it and I'm still trying to figure it out and I learned them when, when I need them. Right. So it's like, Oh, I learned that thing because I made a hundred mistakes and then on the hundred first time, I had to do it right and then I know it works. So yeah. the knowledge you get is way more solid, I think. Right, because yeah. if you're putting it into practice, you're gonna have to get past it or you're not gonna finish your project. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced or are facing living, learning and working in the Netherlands? Um, well, living here, Oh. Yeah, we could take it one step at mm. a time. Like, like, what are some of the big challenges you faced culturally or or whatever else in living in Europe? Um. Well, I mean, 
I mean, the low-hanging fruits talking about the weather, right? I mean, it, <laughs> it, it is it is true. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. Um, I mean, Brazil, like, the sun is consistent, you know? Like, um, you have rain days, yeah, sure. You have storms. But most of the time, the sun is there, and that really affects your mood, right? Like, um, it makes you, I guess, more more active, more lively, right? Right. Um and then yeah on on winter months like i can tell like um my you know my productivity goes down a little bit until i like readjust um but no those are things you get used to like you know there are um, supplements mm -hmm. you can take right a lot of people take vitamin d yeah, for example d. just because there's not as much sunlight exactly and um uh, yeah uh what else the weather um yeah, mm -hmm. the food is definitely something different here. I mean, they are way yeah. more practical about the food. Let's put it like that. Uh, <laughs> That's a really nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I'll go ahead and say it the Dutch way. I did not like Dutch food. I thought it was flavorless, bland. With Peter. Boom, boom, pa! But you weren't expecting that one-two combo about Dutch food, were you? I'm only kidding, though. Please don't get your taste buds in a tizzy. If you've been enjoying the show, I'd really like you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so we can move it up the charts. We're talking to Rodolfo Fava about video game design, life in the Netherlands, and food. Oh, speaking of, I'm getting hungry. Let's keep things moving on Alone with Peter. I love food. I'm like, the first thing I do when I go to a new country, I'm sorry, all the Dutch people who are yeah. listening to this right now, I'm really gonna <laughs> on your country for a second. Cause I love your country. I really do love the Netherlands. I had so many amazing experiences there. The food wasn't one of them. Frikendel? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not a fan. Anything that I ate, I was like, I remember being like, oh, I need to find something that tastes amazing. I'm gonna find it, I'm gonna find it. You know, it's there somewhere. And I would try it like, I forget what's the one where it's like basically it's like a sausage baked into a piece of bread. What's that one called? Oh yeah, um, like a frikandel broje or something like. Yeah, broje. Like a hot dog. Yeah. Right, right, and on on paper it looks like it'd be really good, or just like looking at it, you know. But I just felt like to me, I'm used to having a lot of different seasonings or spices or maybe like cheese with that or something, and I just never felt like I I buy it into like, oh. It's a hot dog and bread. Yeah, it's definitely. Well, it's not Brazilian barbecue, that's for sure. Yeah, that's not for sure. <laughs> I mean, dude, like, um, yeah. I love you, Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, just put it out there. I love you too. I I'm surrounded by them. I you love know? you guys. I I'm so they are listening to me right now. <laughs> like ten neighbors are listening to me right now. <laughs> no, they're gonna tell you. They're gonna walk in in the middle of this interview and ruin the audio, yeah. telling you how much of a jerk you are. <laughs> they're gonna be waiting with like their their frikandel pasta, like, huh? Yeah. So <laughs> they're gonna be throwing the chocolate sprinkles at you with the bread. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah i mean it was a huge shock to me especially in the first year i mean um, right lunch for i guess any latin country it's it's an event like, yeah it doesn't matter lunches uh, lunch is such a big event like man um we have big lunch and you know that makes it, me so happy because i never know what to eat for lunch but i love eating 
Yeah, it's, it's like it's a social event, you know, like uh, the most typical thing is like you go to a, uh, like a buffet restaurant and usually like you, you wait, like your plate at the end. And it's actually a very popular restaurant, like buffets, I guess, um, in most countries, they sound like an expensive thing or, or something when you treat or yourself. Or like a little sketchy. Or a little sketchy, but like for us, it's something popular you can find like in every corner, you know. Um, Brazilian buffet. Yeah, exactly. And it's like... It's it's the most democratic thing. You can find anything you want. You can find vegetarian options. You you can find your meat. You can like mix and match as you like. You know, um, dude. And like I... street food. Oh my god! Like, like you you can find like people sometimes they work in a restaurant and then like on lunchtime they just park their car in front of a university or in front yeah. of like government buildings. You name it. Like there will be someone yeah. selling like little Tupperwares with with, with like lunch food and. It's always the, those people are always there. It's always the same price. That's amazing. And like you really like uh, the customers You're build like, a oh relationship. God, Let me step outside into this van. Yeah, it just build a relationship lunch. with the, those people. You know, like oh yeah, <laughs> that guy. Like that, that's where I get my. Oh, that's from. the dude. Yeah, that's, that's the, the dude. dude. Yeah, yeah like, I had the similar experience. His uh, California has a pretty heavy Hispanic influence, especially from Mexico. So we'd have like places there'd be burrito trucks hanging out in certain areas. And you just know, like, for me at least, I'd be like, oh, man, it's lunchtime. I'm going to leave campus. I'm going to go to this burrito truck. I'm like, yo, dude, what's up? I want that. Give me some of that. That's, that stuff's amazing. I The best burritos I've ever had have always been out of a truck. Kind of like how people say, like, oh, you got to find the Chinese food place that looks like it should be condemned and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> have you ever heard people say that? <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but... The sketchier looking the taco truck, usually the better the tacos. <laughs> I mean, yeah. In my uh, in yeah. my humble Northern California experience, that was the case. Well, sometimes that is true. Yeah, like I can definitely tell there were some like uh, hot dog food trucks there. Um, like it's more like a cart, really. Like calling food trucks a bit of yeah. an overstatement. Yes, it's, like, <laughs> it's like dressing it up. It's just, it's like, it's just a guy with like his car and he's there all night and there's some people like just chilling in this plastic chairs like, you know, they're just talking about life. Dude, but yeah. if the food's good, who cares? Exactly. Like, that's how I felt. Like, it's, like food is an event for us and here it's like, okay, you got, cool. you got one hour lunch, sometimes 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, you have some sandwiches there, have some salad. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was this, uh, <laughs> we had a sort of a competition with my friends, like, there was this dude from Ukraine, this girl from Poland. We were competing. Like, you pay for, for the cup size, right? Like, you just pay uh-huh. for the cup. And it was so weird. Like, it was a plastic cup that you put salad on. It's like the weirdest container you can eat salad from. But anyways. Interesting. Um, and every day they had different options. And we were competing. Who could get the most food in there? So you're getting the most for, for your three euros, right? The biggest so, bang for your buck for the three yeah. euros. I <laughs> so like, love that. So, like, we just look at each other. Ah, man, you could have stuffed more stuff in <laughs> more food oh, there, come man. Come on, dude. There's yeah. still some air here. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I feel like I'd be pretty good at that game because I have six brothers and a sister. And growing up, we weren't always in the same place at the same time. But growing up, you're like, if you didn't need it, somebody else is going to. So... You eat as much as you can <laughs> when you can. <laughs> Just in so case. So I've always like I remember I was in I was in Korea and they do communal style eating, which I loved. I thought that was so cool. 
it's like some places in Europe and it sounds like Brazil from what you're telling me, like you always eat with other people. That's like an important part of your day to be with other people when you're eating. Um, but like I'd be eating, right? And you all serve yourself from the same central thing and put it on your plate and eat. And everybody else would be getting up and ready to leave and I'd still be finishing up. And they'd be like, you know you don't need to finish that, right? And I would just look at them like, yeah, I do. Like, that's not even an option to leave food on the plate for me. Like, what, what, so, I've just never been like that. You said that um, was in Korea or... <laughs> in Korea, yeah. People are like, you don't yeah, have to finish I, that? Well, wait. well, no, no, no. Nobody has to finish the food. Okay, they, okay. They were telling me, they're like, because I was finishing what I was eating. They're right. like, you don't have to finish that. And I was like, but I do because... <laughs> That's how I am. Like I'm not gonna waste the food. Exactly. It, it there's there. I've got six other siblings, you know, <laughs> or six other brothers rather. Seven other siblings. I just I'm. It's it. It's built in my DNA. I eat a lot because I exercise a lot. On top of it, so I'm just not gonna waste any food because who knows when I'm gonna eat again. Exactly. I know when I'll be hungry again. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was kind of funny, but. Oh, oh yeah, um, like uh, one little thing though. Like I, I have to say, like in my you're making me so hungry. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm preparing. Like I already have some food stashed there as well. Like after this is done, I'll get some dinner, some Indonesian. Um, oh, nice. But, <laughs> that sounds great right now. Yeah, they say uh, Indonesian food is the best Dutch food. Not my words, okay? <laughs> Not my words. <laughs> uh, yeah, they had some Matra. past like colonization things there going on and. I mean, yeah, they, the Dutch got something out away from it. Like, Indonesia is quite good food. Uh, it is. Uh, I do like Indonesian food a lot. But Thai, Thai, Indonesian, Indian food. Honestly, all of the food in Asia. I was a fan of almost every place's food. Yeah, for sure. All right, so. Oh yeah, just just one thing. Like uh, in my internship, um, I really wanted to bring some of the like uh, social aspect in there. You know. Okay. Uh, we always had lunch together, but mm -hmm. I wanted to be like, okay, let's make an event. Like, um, so every Friday, like, you know, I went exploring around and I found this snack bar, like the yeah. most Dutch snack bar you, you can find. Like, you know, they they sold fries and frikandel and, and like, and you won't believe like what they can do with the French fries here. It's like they, they have love like French fries. Dude. Over ten different like options what you can combine with French fries. Uh, it goes like just from like blend French fries to like you put some yeah. raw onion on it. It's a mayo, yeah. but they go all the way to like adding um, some meat with it. And in, uh -huh. in my last day, I had like some chicken. And, like there was this really elaborate shredded chicken. Yeah, shredded chicken with it. Like, dude, they just like you know it. It, it was a big thing. Like every Friday, like I called it Friday fries. So I, <laughs> I invited I like that I invited Friday Friday. <laughs> Friday, I, Friday. I love that. Like, yeah, I just invited people, hey, man, Friday's fries, you know? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so we all walked to this bar. They they didn't know it existed. And we just got, like, a bunch of stuff to go. And That's funny. So we combined, like, the social aspect of it um, yeah. from Brazil to, like, the Dutch food, you know? and uh, <laughs> That cultural exchange. That's so amazing. I love that. Honestly, I thought that was one of the coolest, coolest things about my time in Europe is like I was going to school at your school, Breda University, 
but there's people from all over the place there. I met so many Romanians and Bulgarians and people from Poland and obviously a lot of Dutch people, some people from Norway, from Sweden, from um, Finland. And yeah, it just it's really cool to have an international school like that because you just get a better I always felt like that was really rewarding to have that diverse group of people there, especially when working on projects. Yeah. I always thought uh, you made me think of with the fries, the, to have like basically the vending machines that keep the food warm. And to me that always like cracked me up and oh, kind of yeah. like grossed me out to be honest. Cause like <laughs> you'd be out drinking, right. And dancing until like four in the morning and then people would be like stumbling around and I'd be going to get Turkish kebab, which by the way, is like the best thing ever Yeah. when you're drunk. But then there would also be like, they look, to me, I it's hard to think of how to explain them correctly, but they're like plastic windows, but the size of like maybe like your mail cabinet would be like for your apartment and you just like put money in a slot and then you take out some a thing of french fries or fricadelle and like an individual size like a snack thing like, it's like a little yeah. snack locker yeah with the yeah. door so you can see the food in there and i was always like <laughs> i have no idea how long that's been there yeah. but just because of the design it looks like it's been there for years yeah. <laughs> it just like it's not the... I'm like, oh, that doesn't... That looks good. No, that's not what I'm thinking when I see that. I'm like, oh, that's probably a bad idea, but I'm drunk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Everything's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I would always... I have some really great shawarma memories. Let's go, we'll just call them shawarma memories. <laughs> I love it. I like so. like breaking my plastic fork and like chewing on it because I don't realize. <laughs> what is that? Oh, I broke my fork off my mouth. <laughs> Oh god, yeah. Speaking of french fries, that was the my go-to was like uh the donor uh whatever that's called, the all the places in Breda they had all those turkish kebab spots. You get french fries with like the cheese. Oh, the capsule like the short yeah, exactly. Oh, dude, those oh, were it. so good. Yeah. Those were like the days where I would eat my fork on a regular basis. <laughs> At like you, five you just, in the morning. It's just so excited about the food, like, oh man, I need this. <laughs> like, no, dude, I really it's like do you ever dance when you're like getting your food? Like I always find myself yeah. like when I'm really hungry, I'm like, oh yeah, this is gonna be amazing. Um <laughs> Alright. That's it's one of my passions, food. For sure. What can I say? I got a one-track mind, and we're ending on a cliffhanger. Maybe you get some food. But if you've been enjoying that episode with Rodolfo Fava, don't worry. We're coming back to it next week. Alone with Peter is out every Thursday, 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and my website, peterkirsting.com. When we come back, we'll be talking about Rodolfo Fava's hobbies, how those inspire his video game work, what some of those products are that are coming up and how you can play them. Thanks for tuning in on Alone with Peter, putting us in your ear. We'll see you next time.